Well, good evening again. Good to see you all as we continue in our series of lessons and talking now about the role of wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. In the epistle known as the book of James, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and upbraideth not. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. To, to put it that way, if any of you lack wisdom, I cannot imagine somebody saying, well, I, I don't need any more wisdom. I have all the wisdom I need. Sometimes something is worded to lead into, uh, it's a rhetorical device. When he says, if any of you lack wisdom, and we know we all do. It's just the way he approaches the subject. If any of you lack wisdom, and we would say, yes. Yes, we need wisdom from God. And so he says, let that be something you pray about and you ask God for, and he will answer that prayer. I find that fascinating. And then when Paul wrote Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said in verse 15, and that from childhood... Some translations say from a babe. Some translations render that from infancy. You have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so we have the scriptures that are there that are given and are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, everybody cannot be um, at the top of some corporation. Everybody cannot do advanced mathematics. Everybody cannot work for NASA and be rocket scientists and all of that. But we can all be wise unto salvation. We can be wise in the things of God. And we need to be wise when it comes to our home. Tonight, I'm going to be talking about building our home and looking especially in the book of Proverbs. I know that I've introduced the lesson with two passages, James 1 and 2 Timothy 3, that are not in Proverbs. But I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs. You know, we didn't look at this in our breakfast, after our breakfast, our study this morning, but we were talking about having trained eyes and looking, what, what is the key thing? purpose of this book. What does it contribute? And you look at the book of Proverbs, and notice, notice uh, what you have really is a series of infinitives that state the purpose of the book. After the introductory verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, then he says, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase in understanding. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. Do you see that in these verses, in verses 2 through 6, again he uses a series of infinitives to denote what is the purpose of the writing. 
It's, it's to know, to know wisdom. It is to perceive, to perceive words of understanding. And so you have wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, prudence. These, these terms, you know, wisdom is more than just knowledge. And so there's the concept of understanding. There's the, the matter of how to make practical application of knowledge. That's, that's wisdom. And notice, um, notice that if you do not have wisdom, in verse 4, this book is for you. To give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. So here's somebody starting out in his youth. He has to be taught. He doesn't know. He's simple in that, from that standpoint. And so it is, to give, it is for him. He'll have knowledge. He'll have understanding. But suppose you are wise. Suppose you have grown and suppose you have wisdom, then this book is still for you because verse 5 says that a wise man will hear and increase learning. And so you become wiser still. So if you're just starting from scratch, the writer's saying this book is for you. You're going to get knowledge and wisdom and discretion and understanding, but if you're a wise man, you'll increase in those things. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. This idea is not original with me, but it's one that I have passed on and one that Linda and I uh, incorporate uh, with our reading, and that is there are approximately 30 days in a month. There are 31 chapters in this book. And if you will, each month, not to take the place of other reading, but you just include the book of Proverbs. So at the end of the day, uh, what is today's date? Is today the 19th? 20th? Okay. So today's the 20th. And so you would turn, for example, tonight to Proverbs chapter 20 and read that. And tomorrow the 21st and the 22nd and so on. And so you come to the end of the month and you start over the next month in Proverbs chapter 1. And so to supplement the other reading that you do, not to take the place of other study, but you're just regularly visiting these passages that are so practical and are there for the learning and to give you wisdom and understanding. And it's not too frequent. You'll keep reading that and you'll think, I hadn't noticed that before. And you've read it again and again. So you might think about that as something to do. Alexander Campbell, the great restoration preacher, had a number of children. And I've read that all of his children memorized the whole book of Proverbs. And so commit these verses to memory and read them. They're, they're there to give us wisdom. So if you were to say, well, what is the purpose of this book? What does it contribute? And you're reading with a purpose. You're reading with trained eyes. You see that in these opening verses that he tells you what this one's about, what it is there for. Now, we're going to be specific, of course, in, in terms of taking this wisdom from God and applying it to principles in the home because that's what we're here for tonight. But what I'm going to do, as I said earlier, apart from those couple of passages to introduce the lesson, tonight's going to be a study of the Proverbs and looking at how wisdom from God in various aspects of the home will help us. And where I want to start in our study is a passage in chapter 23, verse 3 and 4. And this quotation here, it happens to be from the New American Standard Translation, and it says, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. 
and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. It would seem that, the, that this is a word picture. I, I don't think that Solomon is just talking about a literal house and saying, you know, if by wisdom a house is built, you get everything kind of squared up, a good foundation you build up, and, and the, the framework is good, and you go from there. Well, all that's true. But God is concerned about the home, about the family. And by wisdom, a house is built. It's like we were talking about last evening, and the, the, the wise woman builds her house. Proverbs 14:1. but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. And see, that's not talking about building the literal house. It's talking about the family. It's talking about the home. What builds up the home or tears it down. And this is a passage likewise. Not so much talking about the structure, but by wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. And continuing the word picture, just as in a home, you might have that precious vase here. Or you might have this special item here. Or here, here is some antique. And so you're, you're, you want to have these things that you enjoy possessing, you enjoy looking at. And so it is in, in the family. You're, you continue to grow and develop and round things out by wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. How we need that. And, and what happens is if we ignore these principles, we're bringing disaster on ourselves. Again, it is God who designed the home. He knows what is best for us. The Bible teaches that his commandments are for our good always. And when we ignore divine wisdom, we are bringing disaster upon ourselves. Look at chapter Proverbs 11, verse 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. Now, how substantial is that? Can you hold the wind? I mean, the wind just blows you. It's, it's something that uh, you cannot take hold of. It's not something you can do anything with or about. And so the figure of inheriting the wind is saying you end up with nothing. Sometimes we talk about uh, something vanishing into thin air. You know, it'd be the same kind of concept. Inheriting the wind means nothing. So what this is saying is you'll have nothing to show for, for your life here. You'll have nothing of substance if you trouble your own house, if you ignore these principles of, of wisdom. What I'm saying in our lesson this evening is that in his word, God has provided the wisdom that we need to build a house as he would have it. Do you believe that? It really matters that we don't give lip service to that concept, that we really believe that in his word God has revealed his mind and he's given us wisdom and what he says is right and that's what we will do in our home and of course in all of life. And when it comes to the relationship that one has to his parents, I mentioned last evening how glad I am to have the number of young people here this evening. Every one of you are very special, and we appreciate you. The, the Bible says in, in Proverbs 17 and verse 6 that grandchildren are the crown of old men, and the glory of sons is their fathers. Here you, you, you see the, the son that he loves his, he, he loves his father. The glory of sons is his, his father. And for example, in chapter 4 and verse 1, the, the appeal is made, Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. This is, this is um, these words that are so true. And by the way, there's some things that are rather obvious 
I mean, some of you have grandchildren. And I've seen the way you talk about them. I've seen the way you act about them. It's very silly, really. But grandchildren are the crown of old men. Do you see the home as God would have it? There's a special bond. There's a special bond that the Bible recognizes here between the grandparents and the grandchildren. That's so special. That's part of God's wisdom. He wants, he wants the grandparents to have an influence for good upon the grandchildren. He wants the grandchildren to look upon the grandparents with respect and people that could be looked to for guidance and for counsel instead of as, you know, I said I was sticking with the Proverbs. But another passage it talks about listening to the counsel of the ungodly. And the Proverbs themselves talk about listening to the counsel of the unwise as being so foolish. Uh, and here again is God's wisdom. The young person, the, the, the child wants to give cause for joy. Look at Proverbs 23, verse 24 and 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. And he who begets a wise son will be glad in him. And then the writer goes on to say, Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who gave birth, let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Well, this is a rich passage. And it's saying, if you're a young person, don't think that, well, that's just what the grown-ups are responsible for. This is addressing the young person, and it's talking about wisdom. It says the father of the righteous will, will rejoice. And the parallel, remember we talked about Hebrew poetry rhyming. He who begets a wise son, that's, that's parallel to the righteous. Here is the wise son will be glad in him. And it's not so, well, look at what I've done. It's not so a parent can live somehow vicariously through his children. That's not the point. It's not something that you're boasting about. You're grateful to God because here this son of yours is right. And you're glad for his sake. You're glad for her sake that this child is making the faith their own. And it's so important to, to be, when you look at that, are you listening, boys and girls, young men and young women, when it says, he who begets a wise son. We're talking about by wisdom a house is built, but this is talking about the role of children. The wise son. He who begets a wise son will be glad in him. Yes, it makes me feel good about that, but I'm glad because he has chosen right. She has chosen right. John would, John would say, John the Apostle would, would write and say that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And I don't know, the word funny is not exactly right. I started to say it strikes me as kind of funny. But when you see what the author here is doing, what the wise man is doing, he makes a statement, and it's like here, here's the principle, that the, that the righteous, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who begets a wise son will be glad in him. So he states this principle, and then it's like, we talk about the, let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who gave birth, let her rejoice who gave birth to you. It's like, would you do me a favor? Would you do yourself a favor? Would you be the kind of son that will 
give occasion of rejoicing, the kind of daughter that will give the occasion of rejoicing to your parents because you're wise. So he makes a direct appeal for you to do that, not be passive about it. I talk to some, sometimes I talk to people about their spiritual needs and things that need to be done and choices and priorities, priority, priorities that need to be changed. And you know sometimes what they say is, well, we'll see how things work out. Oh, well, we'll see what happens. And, and I'm wondering, where does that come from, the spirit of being passive and seeing what happens instead of, well, make it happen. Take charge and make it happen. And here's something within our power. You may not can choose what other people do, but you can choose what you do. And let your father and your mother be glad. Let her rejoice who gave birth to you. It's wisdom from God that says, a wise son. We're talking about wisdom. Wise sons, wise daughters. By wisdom, a house is built. And chapter 10, verse 1 says, A wise son makes a glad father. Scoliosis or bone disease. I've seen people whose, whose eyes have lost their light and luster because they can't get it off their mind that a son or a daughter who's been taught the truth no longer cares anything about it and is rejecting wisdom and is choosing foolishness. Don't, don't think that it doesn't impact someone else. And that's always on the mind of godly parents, godly people that care for you. And so, again, we have a lot to do with how others are impacted. The wise son, by wisdom a house is built. You reject that, yes, it impacts you but it affects a lot of other people as well. Wisdom, the, the role of diligence, in, in, again in Proverbs 10, we're looking at the Proverbs tonight, he who gathers in summer is a son who acts wisely, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who acts shamefully. The idea of learning responsibility, being diligent, when it's planting time to plant, when it's harvest time to harvest, too many people in our country are not doing that. And they're expecting the government to feed them, the, the government to provide for them. And I know there are people that have genuine needs, and we're not talking about that. I would say that 90% of the calls that come to our phone at the church building are from people that are wanting the church to pay their bills. And here again, I don't, I'm not talking about legitimate needs. Where we should be willing as individuals to help and if the church is responsible for someone, for the church to help. I'm not talking about those legitimate needs. But, but here's a principle of somebody, on the one hand, who acts wisely in regard to his work. He's diligent in his work, and it may be hot and he may be sweating, but in the summertime, if it's time for harvest, he gathers. But here's somebody that sleeps in harvest, and he talks about it. Or he, he, he uh, shirks his responsibility. Here again, by wisdom, a house is built. This is just very practical. The thing about the Proverbs is they are so practical. They are so down to earth and easy for us to understand. But the thing is, we need to apply. But again, we're talking about different aspects in the Proverbs of building a house by wisdom and when it comes to the husband's role of his wife. He appreciates his wife. He views her as a gift from God. In chapter 18, verse 22, Whoso findeth a wife, and I'm quoting here from the King James Version, 
Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Now, a wife can either make or break her husband. Look at, look at the contrast in chapter 12 and verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Remember I said that the rhyming of thought can be antithetical, stating the opposite instead of a parallel thought, a repetition. Here's the contrast. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Well, again, how do you deal with that? Remember what we said? You start with what you should be. And you, you pray for wisdom. And you're asking God to help you. You're looking at the scriptures to guide you. And you, you make a wise choice. But doing that, whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor from the Lord. And, and I, in, in connection with that, when, when a man has that kind of wife, and so many of us are blessed with that kind of a wife, listen to, to, again to the Proverbs. In Proverbs 31, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. I know some might not appreciate the following analysis, but I do believe it's true as a general rule, and especially as I'm talking tonight to the people of God. With us as men, again, I'm, I'm speaking right now as a rule of thumb, but as a rule, with us as men, we who are men, there are really just a lot of things as we go about from day to day that... Uh, can have the effect of building our self-esteem as we interact with other people. And a woman that does as Proverbs 31 says, that she looks well to the ways of her household. She's really concerned about that, and so she fears the Lord, and she's looking well to the ways of her household. The fact is that her self-worth is largely going to come from how her family perceives her. If her primary role is the home and you have a husband that appreciates her and praises her, you have children that rise up and call her blessed, that goes such a long way. But if the husband denigrates her, if the husband does not appreciate her, if the husband belittles her and the children do not respect her, it's not like there's some other source that will make up for that and she, she has proper healthy self-esteem. Now, I don't mean that a husband's doing this just to make her feel good about herself. I'm just saying that's, that's kind of a human nature aspect of it, that, that it should not be neglected. It, it is very important. That reminds me, um, my good friend Bob Waldron, when I was first married, I mean, I mean, when I was first preaching before I was married, I would be in their home, eat in their home. And I, I mean, I'm talking about when I was a teenager, and um, Bob, I learned so much from him. But uh, after one of those meals, I, I had a good relationship with Sandra and often would tease her and we'd kind of uh, debate things back and forth. But after a meal, I just said, I said, you know, you're a pretty good cook. That's all I said. And Bob took me aside and he said, you know what you said about Sandra being a pretty good cook, the way you said that? He said, that, that meant so much to her. He said, that's so important. 
I had not thought that much, that much about it. But that really is true. Those kindnesses of, of appreciation, just, just expressing that, that does, that does go a long way. I'm also thinking back to a time some years ago of something that to me is just so distasteful. There's a man that um, uh, he and I were talking and he's having trouble at home and he's complaining about his wife and he says, you know, she, she, just, she apparently want, just wants to be put on a pedestal or something. And I thought about that for a minute and I said, well... I said, I, I want to put my wife on a pedestal. I want to do that. He said, yeah, but you love her. I said, you got that right. But his idea was he was somehow resenting the fact that his wife did want to occupy a special position with him. And that should be something that she has to ask for. As a husband, I'm in Proverbs but as a husband gives honor to his wife. That's just being wise. To express appreciation and to say, you know, I am so incomplete without you. To express appreciation that you are the answer to my prayer. And to express appreciation for our friendship. We're kindred spirits. We're heirs together of the grace of life. It's just, it's the right thing to do. And this is showing by wisdom a house is built. And the husband is not, it, there's a difference. You can tell the difference. Anybody here, even a child, can tell the difference between sincere praise and flattery. Flattery is for the purpose of manipulation. Flattery is when you're trying to use somebody, get something from them. Flattery is a selfish thing. But a sincere compliment is just expressing appreciation for that person's quality, and it's not like we're going to overdo that. We're not likely to overdo this thing of putting our wife on a pedestal. I don't know of any passage in the Old or New Testament that says, you better watch out, don't overdo that. We have a lot of warnings about other things, but we're not likely to overdo that. But what we can do is neglect to do that very easily. By wisdom, a house is built. Again, what everything is based on what everything is based on, uh, fundamentally in Proverbs 31, this worthy woman, this good woman, and you see the reciprocal relationship with husband and wife, but it says of her in verse 30 that she fears the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And in that same passage, the Bible, again, speaking of the home as God would have it in this book, Devoted to Wisdom, says the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. It's, it's a sad thing when the husband and wife are working against each other. When there, when there are suspicions aroused about everything and when they're just all the time at odds with each other. And on the other hand, you see this, it's kind of like we were talking about in another passage, we were talking about Ruth. But security, rest, the, the idea of, of tranquility. And so here, here you have the husband, and he's just safely trusting in her. She fears the Lord, 
And, and again, this is, this is such a wonderful relationship that is being discussed. Now, here again, the Proverbs are dealing with so many practical aspects of that, and one of it, one thing is in relation to the, to the wife. No straying eyes. No, no involvement with someone besides your spouse. Not flirting with her, not thinking about someone else, not seeing how close you can get without crossing the line. Rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? Don't think about somebody else. Don't look at somebody else. Don't let your heart be inclined toward somebody else. Don't fantasize about somebody else. All those things are destructive to the home. Here is godly wisdom. This is, this is speaking of one's faithfulness so that there's genuine trust in one another. And again, in wisdom as it regards our children, in chapter 13 and verse 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now, I don't think that the only way you show love is in discipline. That's not what the text says. There are many ways that love is shown. But in this passage, we say, well, but what is this passage talking about? What this passage is saying is that it's God's wisdom that children learn to respect the authority of their parents. If children do not learn to, expect, to respect the authority of their parents, if they think that, that a command from their parents, they can take it or leave it, then when those kids get in school, they don't have respect for the, the, the teachers. When they're out driving, they don't have respect for the law officers. And when, when they have a job, they, they have a chip on their shoulder and they, 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 they cannot advance and, and, and work well with other people. We have to learn that. When dad says no, that means no. The mother says no, that means no. When you don't get the parents working against each other, they are a team. And that won't work to, to get them divided. And so if the line is crossed so that parents are defied, then there's a place to use the rod. Now here again, our society says, don't, don't do that, that's child abuse. But this isn't talking about the abusive parent. It's talking about one who loves his child, and he loves him enough to keep him from doing what is harmful and to insist that he does the thing that is right. Now, that's wisdom from God. No matter what some child psychologist says, that's what God says. And, of course, it, it involves not just discipline when there's misbehavior. It involves instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. And, of course, this is based on the concept of the mother and father being knowledgeable of God's word, and that's the thing that they're trying to teach, principles from his word, so you don't forsake that. You hear that. And so there's training. You instruct them, and verse 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that passage doesn't teach the impossibility of apostasy, but it's teaching that general principle of the training. And so it's, yes, there's admonition, yes, there's discipline, and there can be punishment when there is misbehavior, defiance of parental authority. But again, it's the instruction and the ways of God and it's training 
and bringing them up in, in that sense. And so learning to discharge one's own responsibility. What is age appropriate, but the child must be taught. And again, it is for the good of the child. In chapter 4 and verse 4, the wise man now says of his father, He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. And so, again, this is for the child's good. Training in God's law, chapter 28 and verse 7, again, is, is, is our source of training, and it includes so many practical matters as chapter 6, for example, at verse 1, is talking about being surety for a stranger, and um, again, financial matters as well. By wisdom, a house is built. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. You're to be commended because you want to study and revisit passages and principles that talk about building the home as God would have it. And I appreciate that so very much. Tonight, we've talked about preparation and we've talked about the role of wisdom. By wisdom, a house is built. If in any way you're subject to the Lord's invitation to become a child of God, we're talking about priorities, we're talking about wisdom and making good choices. If there is one tonight who needs to obey the gospel, let us assist you with that. If there's someone that needs prayers on your behalf, uh, if we can help you in any way, let us know that as together we stand and sing.